Hey, what's going on again, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. I'm, of course, the nerd, and my tag team partner, my uh, co-host, is off on assignment today, and I have someone really cool to fill in. Someone with a very interesting background, and you guys know that I've done quite a few interviews with quite a few uh, famous porn stars and just people in the adult industry, and today I have someone on the show who has experience with pornography in the porn industry, just like all of you have, you know, you're all home during the pandemic and everyone's checking out things that they probably normally wouldn't and exploring themselves. Mr. Joshua Shea is on the show and he has a very interesting story and I am very excited to have him on the show. I've been hunting this guy down and he finally agreed to come on the show after I pestered him and pestered him and pestered him without further ado. Ladies and gentlemen, this man's very accomplished. He's got a lot of cool things to talk about, and I hope to get it all in today. Mr. Joshua Shea, how the hell are you? Thanks for coming on the show. I am doing swell, as they like to say in 1972. Um, <laughs> good, good, ha- having a good day. Glad that uh, glad that I could be here with you. Glad that we finally hooked up. It's awesome, man, and uh, I am just very excited to talk to you because your story is very interesting to me, and the fact that we have a lot of different types of guests on this show, like I've had some very high-profile adult entertainers on the show, and you have an experience, and now I'm not going to ask you to tell us all about yourself because you have written quite a few books, and we're going to get into all that stuff and throw plugs out, but I do want to kind of just break the ice here and just let the viewers know how interesting your story is like what is it about you? yeah uh well i mean what what it is about me is that i'm just about the only person on earth who is openly talking about uh a porn addiction that i had for many years and that uh i've also done a heck of a lot of research uh, like i said you said i've written three books uh i've become one of the uh experts on pornography addiction uh, in our country. I think that I've done more interviews than anybody else over the last three years about it with maybe Terry Crews coming in second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I, and I think I bring a very different uh, message than a lot of people. It's not one of morality. Um, it's more one of experience. It's more one of science. It's more one of there is a problem in this world with how we are consuming pornography, and I think that's what we need to address um, is the problems around how we consume pornography, what the outcomes are. But as far as anything like uh, calling for a ban on pornography, uh, it would be more useful for me to bang my head against a wall all day because um, that, that's never going to happen. We've had pornography as long as people could draw on the walls of their cave. Um, it, so that's not going anywhere. But um, the reality is that in the five minutes you and I have been talking, there is a 13-year-old kid out there who has seen more hardcore pornography than his grandfather saw in his entire lifetime. And our little monkey brains uh, do not evolve at the rate that technology and society is evolving. Um, and so we need to look at 
at uh, statistics um, and studies over the last 20, 25 years of what uh, high-speed internet access is doing um, for pornography addiction, for pornography consumption, and uh, hopefully make uh, get some messages out there about what healthy consumption or healthy decision-making looks like around it. Now, I do want to start off here by asking you, because, you know, you are very open about talking about your introduction to pornography and, and, and just having an addiction to it. When did this start? Like, were you the typical guy like me personally? I remember I used to share a room with my older brother who's got 10 years ahead of me. And uh, I remember just, you know, just screwing around in the room. I was looking for a Nintendo game or something. I reached under the bed and I pulled out a porn magazine. And that was my introduction to tits. What was your <laughs> introduction? Like, what introduced you to porn? Uh, it was actually my true pornography in the sense that this was the moment that I remember it. It was my cousin, an older cousin who, uh, had a couple of the more hardcore magazines, um, and showed me them when I was probably about 12 years old. And the difference between me and, and probably you and most people is that the moment I looked and I can look back now and recognize it, the moment that I saw what was in the pages of those magazines, I was hooked. It, it absolutely hit me on a different level, um, than almost anything else on earth. Um, it was like a light shined from above and said, this is going to make you feel better. This is going to make things easy for you. This is, this is your, you know, this is your source. This is your, this is your answer. And the only other time I ever felt like that was about two years later when I, uh, got drunk at a wedding for the first time. And at, it was the exact same situation of, I feel great. I see why people do this. Um, this, this makes me a better version of myself. And then from the age of about 14 years old, straight up to seven years ago, um, when I was 37, I was an alcoholic and more, you know, uh, deeply, I was a, I was a porn addict and I used them probably four to five times a week on average um, from the age of 14 up, up until 37. When things were going better, I might use it less. And when things were more stressful or anxiety-filled, I would probably use them more. But no matter where I was in my life, whether it was high school or college or early in my career or later, no matter my personal situation, you know, married or dating, no matter where I was or what I was doing, for those 24 years or so, I had pornography. That was my, that was the one thing that I could count on in an ever-changing world. It was one thing that would always make me feel better. Now, I do want to ask you, because a lot of people have found pornography around the same time frame. Like I found it, geez, when I found that magazine under my brother's bed it was i was probably like 10 or 11 so about the same age as you being 12 do you think that maybe perhaps you just have an addictive personality where maybe when you found this you know you got that feeling of like hey this is cool i like this same thing with alcohol you tried it and you became addicted to it is it more of an addictive personality thing with porn oh i i, I well i know i have an addictive personality okay. um you know, I, I can trace my life and see many instances of that. Um, but 
you know, people who have an addictive personality, they call them that because often they're prone to addiction. And, uh, you know, I, I fit all the definitions for addiction of both of those things. But then I take a look at something like gambling. And, you know, there's a, there's a casino near my house. And my wife and I go there two or three times a year. And um, I don't feel the dopamine rush from gambling. I will my my rule for myself is play until you lose fifty dollars or leave once you win a hundred and mm-hmm. i can I can do both of those very easily i don't have the addictive gene when it comes to gambling, but I can see people there and understand how they get that rush, how they feel the dopamine hit before that third reel stops or before the dealer flips the next card. I absolutely can understand that i'm I'm just not necessarily susceptible to that. When it comes to pornography addiction, uh, what you often find are a couple things uh, common among among uh, pornography addicts and, and sex addicts as well. Number one is that there is often a co-occurring uh, mental issue or mental health issue. In my case, I was diagnosed bipolar when I was 21 or 22. I think I probably started exhibiting the signs as early as 15 or 16. So I do have I do have that aspect to it. And then also when it comes to porn addicts, um, one of the breakthrough studies um, very early on by Dr. Patrick Carnes, who was kind of the godfather of studying sex and porn addiction. Uh, he found that roughly 70% of men who were porn or sex addicts had experienced uh, physical abuse as a child. A- around 80% suffered from sexual abuse and around 95% suffered from mental or emotional abuse and i fell into both the sexual and mental abuse category um at the hands of a babysitter that i had from about age three to seven or so and uh that uh you know so 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 that fits as well um am i an addict do i have an addictive personality is this just a bad habit is it a crazy hobby gone wrong I don't know because those are all just labels. You know, I am who I am. And according to, you know, the the scientists, I fit the addictive label. And I went through uh, recovery as an addict and it it clicked. So, you know, you you can call me whatever you want. Um, And then, you know, I, I tell people that don't get hung up on the words. A lot of people don't want to call themselves an addict. They don't want to you know, go to quote unquote therapy um, to deal with problems because of the labels around them and potentially even the stigmas around those labels. So I try to tell people it doesn't matter. You are who you are when you walk in the door. You are who you are when you leave. Um, You know, I've been told I have aspects of narcissism. I have told I have aspects of imposter syndrome. I have been told I have aspects of ADHD. Is any of that accurate? I don't know because you can't take a blood test for any of it. Mm -hmm. These are all these are all diagnosis that are used to prescribe medication or to figure out a, a a strategy for. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So, um, I would I, I would warn people listening: don't get too hung up on your or other people's labels. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you what, because I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well when I was much younger. I was around 25, 26 years old, and they gave me a whole handful of medication to take. And I didn't take them for very long because I felt like they changed me to a point where I didn't know who the hell I was. So I found vices as well, and I found things that made me feel who I thought I was supposed to be. Basically, I was drinking alcohol. I was, uh, and, 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 you know, like I'm having a few tonight. I was, I was drinking a few the other night, and I guess you replace certain emotions with with certain things and i guess you have to find something to fill that void for me and for you it was alcohol and you know like i do watch pornography but i never really felt that connection with it that's why i wanted to have you on the show because i just want to get into your head here and find out what void did pornography fill in your life that you couldn't get in other places of life well uh, and uh, when it comes to porn addicts as i mentioned the abuse uh what that abuse does in around 90% of porn addicts is that it creates unresolved trauma and unresolved trauma is usually a very big factor in addiction um like i said around 90% for sex and drug addicts with alcoholics it's around 66 67% um not everybody has it, but most people are using an addictive substance or partaking in an addictive behavior, like you said, to fill some kind of void. The way that I describe it often is that, you know, the real problem is not the addiction. The addiction is a symptom of a bigger problem. The addiction is the band-aid that you put over the gaping wound. It doesn't actually help the wound. It just kind of, you know, yeah. makes it look prettier and make, make, allows you to get by during the day. You know, and I know you've heard the term functional alcoholic. To yes. Me, you know, that, that, that's alcoholic wearing a band-aid. Exactly. Uh, and... and what real recovery is, it's getting back to what made you an alcoholic, what made you a porn addict, what happened in your life, you know, that, that, that made you make certain choices, what outside influences were there, is there any DNA that you can look at and say this has been happening in my family, you know, there's, there's no exact science to uh, getting through it, but in just about everybody who I've seen truly successful in recovery, and this doesn't mean just white knuckling it and not going for your addiction, it means being truly successful in recovering from the addiction, you have to go back and deal with that trauma, and you have to go back and figure out um, how you became the way that you did. And once I did that, it actually shocked me how much the cravings went down, how much the triggers went down, because the problem that I was trying to soothe with alcohol and porn was no longer there. And when it's no longer there... You don't need it nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Now, I do understand the affliction with alcohol because when you're having alcohol and, and you're drinking it, it does change you neurologically. It does change the way you think. It changes who you are. It changes everything. It changes your emotion. My father-in-law is a bitter son of a bitch. He has a few beers. He's the nicest guy you'd ever meet. He has a few more. He turns into a dick again. Yep. Yeah, full How- circle. Yeah, how does that correlate with with pornography? Did you find yourself getting agitated if you weren't watching it for a few hours, and then you watched a couple uh, of videos and got happy? Like what happened? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it would it would it would depend on what was happening in my life. You know, external factors you know drove a lot of the stress and anxiety. Uh, but what's important to point out is that largely. 
uh, addiction is addiction is addiction. Obviously, with you know heroin or meth, you're shocking your system physically to the point that you could die. Uh, w- with gambling addiction, you you know probably have a bigger chance of losing your kids' uh, college money or losing your house. Um, and so, so there are side effects um, to each individual addiction. But what's going on in the head in a chemical level is largely the same from addiction to addiction to addiction. You've got these neurotransmitters or you know pleasure centers, for lack of a better term. Most mm-hmm. people are familiar with dopamine, since that seems to be one of the society's favorite words these days. Um, you've got the dopamine receptors. You've also got oxytocin. You've also got serotonin. There's actually six different uh, chemicals up there. And what an addict essentially does is flood those receptors. And over time, they need more of their substance. So they have to escalate the behavior to get the same high that they got before. I, I don't know your history with drinking, but most, you know, most people who drink, start with one or two and then they graduate to more to get that same buzz and then a lot of people and i was the same way i look at the last couple years of my alcoholism i still loved beer but tequila was much more of a factor because it helped helped helped, yeah exactly it helped me get drunk quicker and it's kind of the same thing with pornography you talk to porn addicts and you know this is where the you start with the one man one woman you know very vanilla kind of stuff but you escalate and you start looking at weird stuff and you start looking at more intense stuff Mm -hmm. um it's stuff that doesn't even reflect who you are um you know, it, but you need that to hit your neuroreceptors. And I think the biggest difference between somebody who is looking at porn recreationally and somebody who's looking at it as an addict is that when I look, when I was looking at pornography, I was doing it for what was between my ears. I was trying to soothe my brain. Mm-hmm. People who look recreationally, they're doing it for what's between their legs, and they're trying to soothe down there. Uh, that that that's that's the big difference that a lot of people can't understand when it specifically comes to porn addiction. But uh, in the brain, it's kind of the same story from addiction to addiction. Now, it's very interesting that you mentioned the word gateway because I was gonna kind of throw that out there to you and ask you: Is porn a gateway to something else? Because, like you said, you start off with, with you know man female. Then he might look at female, female, and then who knows what happens after that. You just go down this dark path. You go down the rabbit hole of porno, and before you know it, you're watching fucking lady boys and and and, and horses go at it. You right. Know? Well, that that's it. You know, I I make a joke when I do presentations that you know at at first you're looking at a man and a woman, and then down the road you you know, and then you decide, well, you know, black women are going to do it for me. Then Asian women are going to do it for me. Then I need two women, and eventually you get to the point where you know it looks like the United Nations and a zoo and you know throw on that you know people throwing food at each other wearing diapers uh and some elderly people there while weird irish music is playing and if you want that i'm sure that is somewhere out on the internet these days uh and 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 that's the thing is that i i don't necessarily want to say it it goes down a dark road. It just goes down a different road. Um, you know, obviously stuff with animals, stuff with children uh, is illegal in most places. And that's a completely different category, yeah. but there, you know, are, are you quote unquote weird because you want to watch people play with their food? Are you weird because you're looking at a lady boy? The, the, the reality is we are not the porn that we look at. And this isn't even necessarily, 
stimulating you know you in a sexual way it's stimulating those neuroreceptors in your brain and that's why you're looking at you know chicks with dicks go at it it's not that you're interested in doing that in real life it's not that you'd ever you know you'd find yourself attracted to somebody like that in real life um it's that you are trying to do whatever you can to get your brain to, to have that little tickle and I, I think as an alcoholic, you've probably experienced this as well. Most people who don't have a history with, with addiction um, and don't understand it think that we're going after the next great high. And, you know, that two, after I start watching pornography, you know, 10 years later, I need to see grannies and diapers. And it's not that um, grannies and diapers are what i have suddenly now into or i get super high because it's grannies with diapers because that's so much weirder than one woman and one guy it's that i need grannies and diapers because i've fried my brain to the point that almost anything else won't touch it and if grannies with diapers that was what does it if it's you know even though I think the taste of scotch is horrible, if it's scotch that's going to get me drunk tonight the quickest, then your brain tells you to go for that. And you're, you're that little addictive voice inside yourself tells you to go for that stuff because you're just looking to try to get that high that comes out of those pleasure centers. Makes a lot of sense because just like we were bringing the alcoholism and kind of you know describing the parallels between that and porn addiction – is because when I first started drinking, I remember I, I had a bottle of whiskey with my friends, and uh, we were sharing it, passing it around like one like like regular size, like a twenty dollar bottle. I don't know what the hell yeah. the uh, milliliters size was of it. We were passing it around. We all thought it was gross. We thought it was disgusting. We all puked. We went to sleep that night, and we're like, we're never gonna drink again. And then I had a couple of beers later on in life. And I'm like, yeah, this sucks, but you know what? It's okay. Started drinking more and more and more, and you know what? Now it tastes like water. Now I need the yeah. next. And the next thing, and the next thing. So I can see the parallels here. You start off normal, and you get into weird shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I mean, I started off with Bud Light and you know, uh, Rolling Rock and, and Corona and the light, the light <laughs> stuff. When I was fourteen years old, I started buying beer from a corner store, and uh, I would buy the light stuff because it went down the easiest. I look at the end of my drinking, and I'm having you know the six point zero percent APV. Uh, with you know the the hardest India ales I could find because I didn't have the capacity to drink forty Rolling Rocks. I need I needed you know six pints yeah. of the of the heavy duty stuff. Uh, so it happens even within us you know genres like beer. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the same with with pornography. You're just trying to find what's going to hit you in the head that day and i've i've now interviewed probably 200 maybe more porn addicts i've got or uh either porn addicts or former porn addicts i have many who are my friends and one of the things that is uh, often said that you know makes me think is one of the real markers for addiction is when a guy sits down and tells himself i'm only going to look at porn for 20 minutes or 30 minutes but they keep going and they keep going and they keep going and why is because they are looking for that perfect piece of pornography they want the one that tickles their brain that's the one that they're going to masturbate and finish with that's what they're trying to find and there are guys who i've talked to uh, I, I was never like this but there are guys i've talked to who would lose seven eight nine hours a day when they planned on sitting down for an hour 
because they couldn't find that uh, sorry, specific piece of pornography that oh, hit their hit their brain the way they needed it to, and their addiction is so strong, um, and their you know and their body is screaming at them that they need this that they will sit there and not do other things for eight hours because because they're they, they think that they're going to die if they don't get that fix. That's hilarious that you mentioned that. And <laughs> the reason why is because, like, everyone's got that go-to scene. It's like, all right, I'm sitting here, I'm watching something, and I'm just sitting there, and all right, so I'm going through this person, that person. Yeah, but I need this one scene, this particular moment. It triggers something in the brain, and it makes you finish. Which leads to me to my next question for you. Is it about watching other people fuck or do things that, you know, you don't have the opportunity or maybe don't want to do in your own personal life? Is that the intrigue no. or is it the climax? No. no, it's not at all. I mean, I've I've been to I've traveled the world. I've lived in Europe. I've lived in Asia. I have been to the red light district in Amsterdam and Tokyo, and I've seen some crazy shit in front of me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's different. Um, it's, it's completely different. That's, what's hard for people to understand who don't have addiction when it comes to this. Uh, I work with a lot of partners of porn addicts and the biggest, uh, hurdle is right up front, trying to get them to understand this has nothing to do with sex itself. Um, you know, it's, it's having sex, wanting to participate, um, in intercourse, um, that is different than needing the chemical buzz that comes from looking at pornography for an addict. For a non-addict, pornography largely replaces actual sex. The goal of it is the orgasm. Um, it, it is to get off. That is not really the goal with the porn addict. Um, it's not that we just can't get enough of naked people. We just can't get enough of, of people fucking. It's no, we, we, we can get enough of it and we wish we had enough of it. It just so happens this is the thing that you know, I, I, I'm into. I have no idea how people get addicted to video games. I don't like video games at all. But I know there are people who play for 14, 15 hours and have legitimate addictions. How mm. is it that that got them instead of pornography? How is it that, you know, where I drank and I, I smoked a little pot back in the day, I have friends who are now, you know, reformed opiate addicts. How is it that I said no to trying something that was put in front of me? tried it and they went down that road i mean I, I don't think we truly know why people go specifically for the addiction they do i think a lot of it just has to be they are exposed to something right at the point when they need the most relief um and, and that's probably how that happens to a degree uh, but no i mean i during my addiction i and like i said 24 years i had you know several girlfriends i was married for the last 14 years of my addiction or not 14 about 12 years of my addiction um and still had regular sex with my wife and it was healthy and it was good because touching a person and being intimate and having actual sex is very different than porn um those those of us who have had healthy sexual relationships we know the reality of porn it's fiction it's not a reality show it's not a documentary Porn is fiction, um, but it's that fiction that did something to my mind. And I wish I knew why it was that, um, but 
since I didn't use heroin or cocaine or a lot of other bad things, um, why did I not use those? Was it because I was warned about them by my parents or by my teachers or in school or society? Um, even things like drinking or cigarettes, which I, I tried both of them. Um, I still got the message for the most part from my parents and from society. Don't try this stuff till you're 18 or 21. Um, I don't think we give out any of those warnings about pornography whatsoever. And I think that I'm curious if I had got certain warnings about pornography when I was younger, might I have not used it as much when I was a kid? Uh, I think if I started using it at 18 or 19, I may not have developed an addiction to it. Um, I think that a lot more people, if they're not watching it at 12, but watching it at you know, 17, 18 for the first time, may not end up as addicts. Um, so that that's really why I'm out there, just talking about pornography, talking about how we use it, and seeing if maybe we can create a few less addicts by educating people. Makes perfect sense. And uh, you did say something that triggered another question out of me here. And um, you said that you were married. So you are married, and you were married yep. throughout a, a large portion of your addiction. Did your wife know, and how did that conversation come about when she found out that you have an addiction uh, to porn? She, she, she did not know, uh, know I have an ad, had an addiction. She knew that I had a uh, I watched porn, and she was not approved by any means. Um, she was not anti-porn, but she had no idea how much I looked. Um, I I had been a porn addict for 10 years before I met her. I had perfected how to hide it from everybody. Um, it wasn't even, you know, a challenge. I, I could be in the same room with you looking at porn, and you would have no idea. Um, and I think that uh, it... It, it, it hit her as a surprise, as it does to almost every wife or, or partner when they truly find out and they have it uh, confirmed. I mean, it was it, it's she thankfully works in the health field. She understands addiction. Uh, you know, it was no secret. I was an alcoholic. Um mm at the time. So, you know, we'd been dealing with that, and she, you know, like every other family, uh, you know, her side and my side both have issues with addiction. Um, so she was not, she did not jump to a lot of conclusions that many partners do. She understood what addiction was. She didn't try to shame me. She didn't try to embarrass me. Uh, there was enough other shit going on in my life that, uh, her, her opinion was, okay, well, You've been sick for a long time uh, with many different things. My my uh, businesses were failing at that time. I had taken myself off of my bipolar meds, um, which was not a good move for me. Um, I was I, my alcohol was at its worst peak that it ever had been. So I was spiraling out of control, and uh, she knew it. And uh, you know when I had to face the music finally, yeah, she said, "We know you've been sick, and let's see what we can do to to get you healthy." And there was not a horrible, horrible scene. Now, we had to talk about a lot of things. We had to, uh, you know, I had to reveal a lot of things um, that I wasn't proud about um, that, you know, was, were disgusting, that you can make arguments or cheating, um, depending on what, what criteria you use. So it was rough. It was very embarrassing for me. I still carry a beach ball worth of shame. 
um, about the whole situation, but um, she she would not be here now had I not gone and done the hard work. And I felt like I was put in a corner where it was either time for me to say, fuck you all, I'm going to go live on a desert island and be happy with my porn and my alcohol, or it was time to say, okay, this is very negatively affecting my life. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good boss. I'm not good anything right now. And I am on a road to death probably if i hadn't got my shit together seven years ago i don't know that you and i would be sitting here talking now um i probably would have driven my car into a telephone pole or or even worse um so it's 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 one of these things where i i am very thankful that you know she was by my side my parents stayed by my side my kids stayed by my side and this is a very embarrassing thing you know i went to rehab twice first time I went for alcoholism and I, I, I make the joke to people that, you know, you tell people you're going to rehab for alcoholism and they slap you on the back and call you a hero and shake your hand. Uh, about a year later, I went for porn addiction, a porn and sex addiction. And, uh, you tell people you're going to rehab for porn addiction and they don't want to shake your hand. They want to find the hand sanitizer. Um, uh, <laughs> Because of the the stigmas that we have around pornography. And I I was very lucky because I know so many men who, when their porn addictions came out, their girlfriends or their wives left immediately. Didn't want to hear what addiction was. Didn't want to learn about it. Didn't want to recognize it was a disease. Um, And, you know, it's it's I, I was very fortunate in that my partner was not like that. And I think that's why I do a lot of work with partners now. My best, the best seller of my three books was four partners. I was just uh, actually uh, last week finally certified as a betrayal trauma coach because I like working with the female partners. Um, or and I've worked with male partners of, of female addicts. Um, anybody who is a partner. Uh, I think that they tend to take me a little more seriously than just somebody who is a therapist. Um, While a therapist has a great amount of knowledge and has worked with a lot of people, the reality was I was there. I experienced this. I know what it's like. And it's amazing sometimes when I talk to a partner for the first time or I talk to an addict for the first time and you can tell they feel like they're not being judged and they're telling their true story for the first time. They don't have to gaslight me. Um, I'm, I'm not judging them. Odds are I've seen everything they've seen and maybe worse. Um, and they find commonality with me, whether it's a partner or an addict. And Mm -hmm. I think that makes them feel so much better because for the first time they feel not alone. And that's the thing. A lot of people that have this addiction, they try to, you know, sweep it under the rug because they think they're the only one that has it. And you know what? You guys aren't alone. And, uh, it's great that you found a partner who was able to just cope with everything and help you get through it. But I do want to ask you this question because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking this right now as they're listening to us talk. Did you ever think or did you ever maybe use or maybe your addiction? I'm trying to think of a way to, to ask you this here because just it's use, a weird just use question. your words. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, like words help in asking questions, but did you ever see this perverting your your sexual life with your wife? Like, did you ever try to like come in her face or do any things that you saw in these porn videos? Like the way that girls act. Did you expect your yeah. wife? 
not 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 really because I I just know her and I know when she I, I I know when I can suggest something kinky and I know when okay well that is going to cross a line um, and, and I think that you know healthy sexuality is exploring your sexuality I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your girlfriend or your wife if you can come in their face but you need to ask and you need to respect their answer um, and, and and that's the thing is that you know sexuality is not bad Sex Sexuality is awesome. You know, it's why we're all here. And when it's, health, when it's healthy, it's fantastic. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that your, your question actually made me think of the last uh, presentation that I gave uh, to a college back before the pandemic started. And we're going, I think it's probably been a year, maybe this week. It was last December. I was at a women's health center at a college uh, here in New England and speaking to their women's sexuality group. And I came in and I gave my little presentation that I give with statistics and stories. And then I went to the Q&A and there was this one girl there, 19 or 20 probably, who raised her hand and said, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this from other women but or other young women or college girls, but I don't like having sex with virgin men. Hmm. And, and I saw several of the eyes of the other women in the room light up. And I looked at her and I said, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, but what does that have to do with pornography? And she said, well, you just told us that the average boy is now watching pornography at 12 years old for the first time. This is their sex ed. And I realize she's absolutely right. The average 12-year-old boy is going to see hundreds, if not thousands, of porn clips before they have sex for the first time at 16, 17, 18, whenever. Now, even in the most normal one-man, one-woman, heterosexual, vanilla porn that you can find out there, the man is the aggressor. The man is usually saying horrible stuff to the to the woman. The man is bending her in, in, in like a pretzel any way he wants. And then at the end of every friggin' video, he goes in her face. And yep. that's not reality. Anybody who's married, anybody who's had a long-term relationship, like I said before, that's fiction. But if you're a boy of 12 or 13, and this is the only message that you're getting about sexuality for years and years and years, what happens, you know, the second week of your freshman year of college when you finally meet a girl who's, you know, willing to do it with you? And, you know, how do you act? Well, you probably act like the guy you've seen in every scene. You start, you know, and I, I... you know, have talked more with uh, college-aged women um, uh, since since this. I've heard this, and this is to me, you know, aside from addiction, this is what pornography and and internet pornography and unfettered access to pornography is doing to our youngest generation. Uh, that's where we need to talk about healthy versus unhealthy sexuality and what pornography is doing as a society to us. Most of these boys won't end up as porn addicts. Right now, seven out of ten of them won't ever develop any kind of problem with pornography. However, they're still getting certain unhealthy sexual messages, and that's part of what we need to talk about um, along with addiction. Now, do you blame the parents for not having that birds and the bees conversation? Because there have been studies recently that people, parents, 
are working a lot more now. And especially yeah. due to the pandemic, you know, like people are trying to make ends meet. They're maybe not, you know, uh, being parents the way they should be and not having that conversation with their kids. And maybe it's an uncomfortable thing now because there's such a stigma about having that conversation with your kids that maybe they have to look elsewhere. Do you think that's part of the problem? Just parents not uh, telling their children about the responsibility of having sex? Well, I, I don't necessarily, I, I, what I, what I think is, I think that the pornography conversation is kind of a tiered conversation that has to happen, you know, when they're kids and it has to be age appropriate and you don't even need to use the word pornography for a while. You know, you can tell a seven year old kid, you know, you don't let anybody look under your bathing suit and you don't look under anybody else's bathing suit. And if you're with one of your friends and they have a tablet or a phone and there are pictures of naked people on it, just let me know. And leave it at that. The kid's not going to be shamed or freaked out or embarrassed. Just leave it at that. Don't make it a huge deal. And you can make it a little bit more explicit and a little bit more uh, true to life as they get a little bit older. Um, I think that parents need to recognize that it's not a matter of if your kids are going to see porn as a preteen. It's a matter of exactly when. And more than that, it's a matter of what you are willing to do to talk about it. Um, I think that there are certain ways that we can talk to, especially our young our young males when they're 12, 13, 14, and get them to understand and even perhaps be a little bit scared by what pornography can potentially do to them. You know, like I said, you know, it's parents tell kids not to, you know, use drugs. I don't know. I don't know that the and I don't know that the pornography speech is really part of the birds and bees speech. I think it's much more of the don't do drugs speech, don't drink alcohol speech, you know, don't smoke cigarettes speech. Here's how you cross the street speech. I think that that's the genre it needs to be part of. And maybe if that is the genre, that will remove some of the stigma because you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to talk about the content in pornography. You don't have to get dirty about it. You don't have to, it doesn't have to, you know, be about what are in the magazines or what are on the websites. You can talk about pornography in a matter of fact way. You don't have to show a kid cocaine to tell them about it. You don't have to snort it in front of them to tell them about it. You can just tell them about it. And that's the same thing with pornography. And we need to get over the fact in this in this country, maybe in this world, uh, saying the word pornography out loud doesn't mean you love pornography, doesn't mean you're addicted to pornography, doesn't, uh, should not, if somebody else says it, should not make you think that they're a dirty person or anything like that. You know, it's just a word and we need to get over it. I, I tell people, I think the word pornography is a lot like the word Hitler. You know, it's okay. not a... It's not a swear word, but so many people don't want to say it. So many people don't want to be associated with saying it because they fear it looks like a some kind of implicit uh, agreement with the word. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's what scares a lot of people. And we need to, for the sake of the kids, for the sake of society, for the sake of a healthy sexual world, we need to start being able to say pornography. We need to be able to talk about it. But it doesn't have to be an R-rated discussion. Do you think pornography can be a good thing? 
Because I know there's a stigma about it being evil. And, you know, depending on what side of the fence you're on, left or right, political or not, um, some people think it's just a horrible thing. But some couples use it as a tool to maybe spice up their life. And this is the main thing I want to ask you here, because, like, this is like a two-part question. Is it good for couples? But this is another thing I want to ask you, too. There are some people out there that have very bad, bad ideas in their life, and they maybe want to touch children, they maybe want to touch animals. Is it better for them to indulge in that lifestyle as opposed to acting them out in real life? Basically, what I'm asking you is, is pornography a good way for someone with horrible intentions to bury themselves in, in acts committed on, on tape as opposed to doing it themselves? Do you think that is, is it? Is it less heinous? Well, obviously. Yeah. However, if you're watching a child or an animal get abused, that child or animal still got abused. Exactly. You may not, you may not have done it, but you're still watching it, and it's still illegal. So, you know, is it not as black as doing it yourself? I guess, and I guess that murdering one person is better than murdering five, but. <laughs> You know, I think that's a matter of semantics. Uh, And and for the other part of your question, uh, I I try very much not to throw moralization onto any of this because I think that you have to make your own decision about whether porn is okay or not. And even within pornography, what you're okay looking at or not. Um, That is ultimately your call as a free member of society. And I don't want to change that for you. Um, that's, you know, like I said, I don't want to ban porn. However, I can tell you these two things. Number one, uh, couples who introduce pornography to their marriage statistically get divorced three times more than those who haven't. I wouldn't have it. Is it just because of the pornography? Of course not. But if if you have to introduce pornography to your marriage, you may want to figure out why you think that is a fix, why you need to do it, and are there healthier things to do. Um, And and then finally, what I would uh, add is that, you know, I'm one of those geeks. I used to be a journalist. I am one of those geeks who likes to read academic studies. Um, I, I, I love them. You know, I can sit there and read the Journal of Medicine all day long. Um, I know most people don't like that stuff. And I, I, that's, you know, I figure my job is to boil it down. I've probably read over 100 studies on pornography at this point. Maybe it's high 90s. I don't know. But whether it's about effects on children, effects on marriage, effects on, you know, mental health, effects on physical health. I have never read a single study that reaches the conclusion that pornography is a good, healthy thing in any situation. If, if that study is out there, I want somebody to bring it to me because I, I like science. I like facts. I, I can, uh, this is not my opinion that pornography is bad it, or is, is potentially harmful for you. Uh, all of these studies seem to back it up. I've never seen one that says this is an advantage to using porn. Uh, this will become better in your life statistically using porn. I've never seen that. Um, so I reached the conclusion that ultimately, I, I'm not going to say whether it's evil or whether it's bad. What I can say is that I think scientifically it's been proven to be unhealthy pretty much across the board. Now, it's very interesting that you brought that up because, I mean, 
I understand porn can be very bad, and I understand it, you know, like, this is just my personal, because I've had adult entertainers on the show, and they've told me personally on the show, if people want to go back and listen to the archives, they can with Ava the Vine, Sarah J, and multiple other porn stars. They always say that they're doing it for a paycheck. They don't really necessarily get into this. They're doing it for other people's fantasies to help them do things they normally wouldn't do with their normal lives. So maybe people use this as an outlet. Like, some people use video games as an outlet. I mean, like, I play Call of Duty once in a while. I'm not going to go out and blow people's heads off. It's not an instinct. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's a way to kind of vicariously live through someone else. That's why I kind of wanted to ask you, can this be an outlet? Whether it be healthy or not healthy, can it just be something that people use as a tool? Like, maybe some people need it to get off. Some people I, need I, it. I, th- well, I think if you need it to get off, you need to see a doctor. Um, <laughs> But but what I what I will say is that I believe that the vast majority of people who come in contact with pornography do not develop addictive symptoms, and I believe the vast majority of people who use it um, can use it without uh, horrible repercussions. And that sometimes pisses people off in the uh, pornography addiction community when I say that. But I just think it's a scientific fact. I, you know, I have my wife can have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine in a week, and she doesn't drink three bottles and she doesn't fiend for it. She can drink. It's that's like I said earlier. I can gamble. There are people who can't do this stuff. Uh, and it's not the fault of the people who can handle it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that absolutely people can utilize pornography and they can utilize it for whatever reason they want. Um, whether, you know, it's loneliness, whether it's just to get off, whether, you know, wh- whatever it is, um, and not and not suffer any massive uh, drawbacks. I think it's silly to suggest that everybody who looks at it um, – is going to yeah. statistically and scientifically have something go wrong. Um, I'm just saying that there is a possibility. And if there was a, you know, two in 10 possibility of you getting COVID right now, wouldn't you do what you need to do to not, uh, not get it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why, what, what I'm out there doing saying, you know, Hey, this, this can lead to a, this can lead to something. Um, just know this, 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 and this, and then make your own decisions. And I believe that especially, like I said, if we talk to our teenage boys, younger teenage boys, even even our, our teenage girls, because that, that's an increasing uh, demographic of porn addicts, um, we, we just need to throw some education on there so they're making better decisions. Do I think a kid is never going to look at porn? Of course not. It's sex. It's naked people. Everybody wants to see it. But, <laughs> but... You know, why did I keep going versus the guy next door not? Um, you know, that's 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 what I think we need to have more discussions on. That's what I think uh, we need to just throw some some education out there. And and that's all that's all I'm really trying to do um, is is encourage people to learn a little bit more and make better decisions. Um, when it when it comes to their consumption, and that's not telling you to stop. That's not telling you to look at this versus this. It's just telling this can, this can in fact lead to addiction, to negative behaviors, to uh, repercussions that you may not even consider could happen. 
and it's important to recognize that's a possibility. Um, and if you, if you if you take that and you believe that, then you can make your own decisions moving forward. But as long as people have the information, I feel like I did my job. I'm not going to moralize. I'm not going to pull your porn out of your hands. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make you feel ashamed for any of it because, uh, you know, I, I had people doing all that to me when I was an addict. And that's one of the reasons I moved my life in this direction because I want to talk to the regular regular people out there, whether they're addicts, partners, or nothing at all. And just talk to them about it and normalize it a little bit um, so, so, so it isn't so scary, so it isn't so unapproachable. I think that's a great point right there. And I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing because everybody that has an addiction eventually hits that point where you hit rock bottom. Yep. Um, like you had alcoholism, I had alcoholism. And you can hear me popping uh, my seltzers in the background. You know, it's not the most manly drink. I used to drink rum and uh and, 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 and Coke, because I used to have to get messed up really quick because I hit right. that point in my life where I hit that point where I'm like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Now I just have a few just to kind of just do my thing. And that's it. When did you realize that you hit your rock bottom with pornography where you're like, you know what? I'm done. I hit that point. This is it. Like maybe uh, they, you realize that you had a problem and you changed for the better. It was the day the main state police showed up at my door. Whoa. Yeah, there's a record scratch for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, as, I, as I mentioned, my life had been really not going well at the time. My business was failing. My relationship with my wife and kids was down. I pulled my... I made the bad decision uh, in mid... or early to mid 2013 to pull myself off of my bipolar meds. I told myself that I would be able to save my business if I could tap into the mania that I remembered of my early 20s. If I could tap into the creativity that I remembered. If I could if I could stay up an extra 2 hours a day. All of these things would help me save the company. Um and I I was the publisher of a uh, lifestyle magazine. And I, instead, what happened was once the medicine was out of my system, the pornography and the alcohol exploded. Instead of only drinking at night or at social functions, I was drinking three and four times a day. I made sure I had a liquid lunch. I made sure every meeting was at the local brew pub. Um, and when it came to pornography, I stopped just watching passive videos online because that wasn't enough for me. I went into chat rooms and my pornography my, my alcoholism was about escaping it was about numbing what i learned in recovery i didn't recognize this at the time i learned in recovery that my porn addiction was about control uh, and it goes back to when i was being abused at that babysitter's house that that was the point in my life i felt like i had no control and I promised myself that I would always have control, whether I had to lie, cheat, or steal, whether no matter what had to happen, I was going to have control of my life. You can look through my life and see a lot of controlling type things where I always owned my own businesses, where, you know, I always pick out, you know, 100% of my clothing that I wear. And I know that's rare for men. Um <laughs> And, uh, but, or, or, you know, I, you can see that I had to be the guy who had more baseball cards than everybody when I was 14, um, and had to be the best, you know, there, there were a lot of these controlling issues and what 
my porn addiction, this, this again, I think goes to separating the sex from the uh, addiction, is that I had largely completely stopped uh, masturbating looking at porn. Um, I, that, that just, it wasn't, there wasn't about that anymore. And I went into chat rooms and I basically came up with this scheme of, I was able to show a video that wasn't me. Um, and this, these were person to person chat rooms. I was Mm -hmm. able to show a video that wasn't me. It was a much better looking younger guy and convince the women on the other side of the screen to, start doing sexual things and that was that was what i loved doing i didn't i didn't want to i didn't want to you know say to some you know 22 year old slut show me your tits and have her flash me i wanted to find somebody who would say i would never do that and then i would spend two hours breaking them down i would get information from them they you know i i mean i've got the investigative journalism background i know how to ask questions to get information i know how to ask questions to get answers i know how to ask the same question six different ways so mm-hmm. i would get a lot of information from women who didn't think they were giving me information and my the thing that i got off on was controlling them if i saw if i figured out their instagram account let's say and i saw that they had a ton of pictures of horses well suddenly my uh my younger sister was a competitive horse jumper and i couldn't stay on too long tonight because she had uh a meet or whatever they call them in the morning. Uh, or if I looked at your Facebook and I saw that your grandmother just died, I would work in that my grandmother died last month. I was a, It was catfishing, it was grooming, and I felt like I was a success if they uh, did what I wanted and bent to my will. And if they wouldn't do it, you know, by taking off their clothes, I would sometimes just have them do strange shit like, I think that that painting on the wall would look better over there or try moving that chair over there. I was all about the control. And if you knew me in real life, um, you would have come into my office at the magazine and you would have seen so many awards on the wall. And the reason I had those awards wasn't to convince you that I was awesome. It was to convince myself that I was awesome. I needed that kind of recognition. I needed that kind of uh, pat on the back and constant reassurance that I was good and I was special and I could achieve things. And when my world was falling apart and I started doing this in chat rooms at two in the morning, um, that was the one thing in my life where I felt like I was capable of still doing things, where I was accomplishing things. I was getting stuff done. And the thing that I did at the end of one of these sessions where I was able to convince a woman to bend to my will, I would take a screen capture. And I, I didn't take it to be, you know, a piece of pornography. I didn't take it to get off to it. Um, you know, the I know how to use the Internet if I want that stuff. I mm-hmm. took I took that screen capture as a trophy to prove to myself that I was still capable of getting things done, that I was still capable of being successful, that I was still worth something. And I know that's messed up, but that's how messed up I was at the time. I did this for uh, about three months towards the end of 2013. And then I stopped and I, I, I actually got involved with a project at work um, that, you know, I won't get into, but I actually, I actually pulled back on my use a bit and I stopped um, doing that kind of chat room stuff. 
Then on on the morning of March twentieth, two thousand fourteen, um, I was at home and I'm I'm still using pornography and I'm still drinking. I just wasn't doing that specifically. Um, uh, I was doing some work at home. I was going into the office late because the weather wasn't great, and uh, three cars pull up in front of my house. And you don't have to be a fan of seventies and eighties cop shows <laughs> to know what unmarked police cars look like. Exactly. And when it's March and you see five guys with crew cuts get out of cars and they're all wearing navy blue golf jackets in Maine in winter, you know who these people are. Um, and I went to the door. I went to the door not knowing why they were there. It wasn't like I had an "Oh my God, this is it" moment. Um, I thought that either I did something illegal with taxes or my business, or somebody like my wife had just been killed. I had no idea why they were there. And so I answered the door and the guy told me that they had a search warrant for my computers, believing that I had child pornography and I was floored, but because police have a search warrant, you invite them in. And we started to talk very, very nice guy. Um, and he basically laid out his case. And one of those women who I spoke with, uh, wasn't actually a woman. She was a teenage girl. And, oh. He he nailed me. I mean, I couldn't. I I I can honestly tell you that I don't think I knew at the time. But when he showed me her face, I only remembered it because of that one screen capture I took. And actually, I mean, truthfully, I took two screen captures. Um, but um, she didn't stick out in my mind as something special. But I was so messed up at the time. Uh, between the porn, between the alcohol and everything going on in my life, I don't know that if it, I don't know that it really mattered to me as long as it looked like a woman. Um, and as long as we, I could kind of control her, that was good enough for me. So I can't say that I can say that I didn't know, but had somebody told me, I, I hate to say it, but I don't know if it would have registered as a horrible, heinous thing to do in the moment. I recognize that now. I recognize it was a horrible thing that I did. Nobody should ever do that to somebody else. Nobody should ever have to go through that. And it that doesn't and that doesn't just hold for teenage girls, the women in their twenties or thirties who I did this to. It's absolutely fucking disgusting. And it's so wrong on so many levels. Um and and you know it's it it is even worse when they're under eighteen years old. And I uh, th this is what this is what happened to me. And I didn't deny it. I didn't try to play any games um, because he had the evidence there in front of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know I, I I went through the system and all that. But the next day I went to see my lawyer for the first time. And uh, my lawyer was a friend of my dad's who I only knew in passing, but. I went with my wife and my dad, and his first question was, is this a litigation game or is this a sentencing game? And I said, it's a sentencing game. They have me. I was sick and I screwed up here. And he said, okay, well, let's talk about the sickness. You know, are, do you have a problem with drugs or alcohol? And I said, absolutely not. And both my wife and my father were like, oh, yes, he does. He has a big drinking problem. And... I said, well, you know, he and, and the lawyer said, well, we can get you into a program. And I said, well, you know, if that's going to look good for the judge, let's do it. And this was my first real wake-up call. I mean, aside from being handcuffed, uh, my first real wake-up call was when my lawyer said to me, hey, listen, 
someday this is all going to be over, the legal part of this. You may go to jail for three weeks. You may go for 33 years. You may get no probation. You may get 10 years. We don't know what's going to happen here. But one day this entire legal ordeal will be finished. Do you want to be the same asshole that you are now? And that really was a wake-up call. It's a it was like, Yeah, it was. And I went off to that 28-day rehab about a week later, and I ended up spending 70 days there because I, I kind of fought it for a week, but I got with the program, and I took care of my, my uh, alcohol problem there. While I was there, I started talking to a certified sex addiction therapist. I came home, and I got a great therapist here, and then about six months later, we decided that it was good would be good for me to go to an inpatient center for the pornography, so I ended up in Texas. And at that one, again, not 28 days. I was there 49 days. Um to get the level of treatment that I needed because uh, while, while I, I, you know, I obviously had issues that were, you know, uh, presenting themselves with the alcohol, with the porn. And the fact that I was able to go to that level, well, you know, that's, that's a giant red flag and you need to go get help when those red flags pop up. Oh, absolutely. And my whole thing, theory and my personal thoughts about entrapment and that's the word that i want to use here is entrapment because i feel like this is wrong and it's a horrible police practice and i know a lot of people out there differ some people agree but i just want to get your thoughts on this is because like i watch a lot of tv i watch a lot of specials i listen to a lot of different opinions and i read a lot of books about this kind of thing and there used to be an hbo special called uh, like hookers and johns I think it was back in the day. Yeah. Uh, it's like the mid to late nineties and guys used to go in the streets and they used to sit there and look for girls. And then some girls were undercover cops. They used to arrest the guys. Right. And shit like that. It was like Chris Hansen. Well, d- Dateline. I was going to say, you know, hi, I'm yeah. Chris Hansen from Dateline NBC. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I used to watch that show and laugh my ass off at it. Um, I think there's, I think there's a difference. I think that there, uh, I, number one, I was an entrapment for me. I, I, uh, they never claimed to be something that they weren't. Um, and um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly how I was caught because I told my lawyer I didn't want to know. And I told the district attorney I didn't want to know whether somebody ratted me out or whether this girl had something happen or whatever it was. I just said I didn't want to know because I didn't, I didn't want that resentment in my life. So I don't know exactly how I got busted. Uh, but... Um, I, I, I do not believe that I was entrapped. Um, and I think that there is a difference between um, what happened to me or somebody who is entrapped thinking they're going to like an, uh, an adult prostitute. Uh, and then those guys on the NB, uh, on uh, Dateline, they think that they're going to hook up with a 14-year-old. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was Dateline NBC that taught us. 15 year old girls like Mike's hard lemonade. Cause that's always what the guy brought um, <laughs> and, 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 and cookies. Yes. Yes. Cookies, pizza and Mike's hard lemonade. <laughs> um, and uh, to me, those guys are different. I don't have a problem if you're trying to entrap someone uh, for, you know, getting ready to rape a 14 year old. I really don't have a problem with that. Uh, do I have a problem when it comes to, you know, prostitution being illegal? Um, and is that, you know, entrapment when police do that? 
Yes, it is. Me However, too. again, I, you I are agree. breaking you are breaking the law. You know, let's let's not forget that part of things. Um, but uh, I, when it comes to prostitution, um, and again, a lot of the uh, sex addiction people and porn addiction people hate when I say this, but I think that prostitution should be legalized, should be regulated. It should be like it is in Amsterdam. You are on the right show, my friend, because every single porn per- person I've had on here and every prostitute I've had on here, because I've had some sex workers on the show, they all agree with us. It yeah, should be legalized. It, ab- it absolutely should. And, uh, you know, it was I think it was George Carlin, one of my uh, favorite lines of his, <laughs> is, you know, selling is legal and fucking is legal. Why mm-hmm. is selling fucking not legal? Exactly. And, but but I also don't want to say that this would be a problem. This would be the solution to pornography. This would be the solution to sexual mm-hmm. problems. No, I think somebody who goes to a prostitute, I think more often than not, there's probably something very sexually unhealthy happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to make the choice that you're going to break the law to do that, um, knowing that you're breaking the law. You know, if you're if you're doing it for, you know, uh, in, in a place where it's legal, like you know bunny house in nevada or whatnot um i i don't necessarily think there's something unhealthy there although it 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 is still i think sociologically interesting who would pick to do that um Mm -hmm. but but if you're doing it and you know it's illegal um i think that that immediately makes it sexually unhealthy um that you need to whether you agree with the law or not that you are willing to put yourself at risk um, legally for that behavior. Yeah, I, I get it. And, um, that's kind of a good thing that I want to talk about here is because I've talked about this before in the podcast where I do believe that prostitution should be legal because I mean, some people just don't have skills in life. Like some women, some men just don't have the proper skills. They don't have the proper upbringing, but we have to get them together. That's who we need to get together. Don't you ever see that? Aren't you ever at Walmart and you see like, Oh my God, that woman would never have a partner. And then you see a guy and think, Oh my God, they would never have a partner. And then they get together and hold hands. And you think there is truly someone for everybody. That's maybe, that's maybe what we should be saying. Um, There, you know, is, is, or we should be helping these people get the social skills that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and I, until it's legalized, I'm not going to advocate for breaking the law. You want to go to Nevada, you want to go to Amsterdam, um, you know, jump onto Expedia and uh, book a flight yeah. uh, because you can do that there, um, but you can't probably do it where you are. Um, so if that's your solution is in breaking the laws of your area, uh, something's up. Well, I mean, like just now in this moment, we're living in COVID-19 moment where people just can't work. They can't leave their house in certain areas. You can't do this. You can't do that. People always have the oldest profession in the books, which is prostitution. My whole solution to this is basically make it all legal, but regulate it. How many deaths could we prevent per year if we let prostitution be legal let women get tested regularly and sell their bodies they can you know uh have a board on the wall in their own personal hotel room or whatever the hell because i'm sure like you mentioned the dennis hoff's uh bunny ranch and i'm sure you might be aware of how the surroundings look they've all got their own rooms they got their race they got their own negotiations maybe a girl can have a a room where she negotiates all right well this is a blowjob costs 20 bucks sex costs this much for this much of time Whatever. 
Maybe have doctors on staff that check these girls regularly. Check the guys when they come in. Make it clean. Make it legal. So these girls are off the streets, not passing diseases on or getting sick or whatever. No, I sign off on that in a second. I'm just saying it's not there right now. It needs to be. I I agree with you. I agree with you. Maybe tax it by state. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Well, why can't it be like uh gay marriage or like uh marijuana or casinos where they the feds turned it over to the states essentially and let them decide on a state by state basis and it was only when enough states and abortion was the same thing if you look at the history of that it wasn't until more states were for this stuff and had this stuff that the feds then got involved again and made it a blanket law like like they did for gay marriage about five years ago. Um, even though, you know, where I live, I think it was 12 years old at that point. Um, you know, I'm in Maine right now. We just passed recreational marijuana. I know that you – and it's now in stores. Um, God bless you. The only places I've seen that are Las Vegas and the town I live in. Um, I just happen to be here. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so – does that make it okay for me to to smoke to buy weed uh, here and to not buy it where you live? Well, yeah, it does. That absolutely does on a legal level, on a sensical level, on a uh, objective level, on a uh, non-hypocritical level. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I do not uh, urge people to break the law. I used to be the guy who, I mean, I, I prided myself on being the guy who said, do what, he, do what you want, and it's easier to say sorry than ask permission. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my recovery has been about not having that be my knee-jerk reaction to things. Well, I do think psychologically it does change people's perceptions of what they would do in certain you know, circumstances or situations given the opportunity. Right. and. I believe if you're playing Grand Theft Auto V for the first time and you jump into the video game as a nice law-abiding person, you're not going to drive the speed limit. You're, you're going to run people over. You're going to pick up prostitutes. You're going to shoot people. You're going to sell drugs and do the horrible things in the game because you can't do that in real life. I think if you gave people the option as far as, you know, hey, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I just got off of work. Can I get a blowjob from this girl in the corner? Or can I go to this nice clean place and pay tax and get a nice clean blowjob? I think people just might go home and go to the wife and jerk off and go to bed just because the option's there. I think people do horrible things because they don't have those options in life. That's why if you give someone a video game that has all these things that you can do whatever you want with no repercussions, they do those horrible things. I feel like maybe if you gave people an option like, hey, you can go to this clean blowjob center across the road where, you know, prostitution's legal in this perfect world where you can do what the hell you want as long as there's ramifications and things are safe. People aren't going to be inclined to do those things. If you make crack if, legal, if, I'm not going to go that, crack. If, if that was true, wouldn't porn be enough then? Because if, if that'd be the that, that's a video game is what if you're in your uh, argument. You're talking about a video game, something you passively yeah. watch. Um, that that's porn, and <laughs> for some people, that is enough. But like I, like I said, and I, I don't disagree with you on uh, those things should be out there. Those things should be allowed. And it's up to everybody to decide what their moral levels of comfort are. Um, but I am, like I said, I am not going to tell anybody in a place where they can't do it legally that they should. Um, 
maybe maybe ethically they should be able to, maybe morally they should be able to, but legally they can't. So that's you know until it fight to make it legal. You know, if if that's if that's what you truly want in an area, uh, you either either move someplace where it's legal or fight to make it legal in your area. That's very good advice, and I've been talking about this a lot on the show. I've been saying like I would never partake in it because I'm very happy in my lifestyle with my wife and my children. I'm very happy, but I do feel like some women do need that option, and uh, I've and and I've been a big proponent of technical schools like uh, vocational schools where people can learn to trade. And I feel like maybe if you open up a, a, you know, like an abandoned hospital, an abandoned hotel or something, put these girls in that place, make it government funded where they get tested regularly, can sell their bodies and maybe learn a trade, maybe learn some kind of schooling or something to get them yeah. out of that. Just like the, you know, uh, proverbial, I'm a slut, I'm a stripper, I'm working my way here so I can get through college, you know, right. like that right. stripper, stereotypical stripper. Maybe have these sex workers do that. But learn to trade. Like maybe they can become a nurse or maybe they can become a teacher or something. Give them an outlet. They don't have skills in life. Maybe let them work their way off the only way they know how with their bodies. But keep them clean, keep them safe, and educate them at the same time so they can come out of this better in the future. That's what I advocate for. I, I think that I think that's a, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, you know, there are a hundred and one logistic things that need to happen first and, and we need to continue just having this conversation because we need more people to understand that point of view. Um, and that's one of the things, like I said, I sometimes catch some flack from a lot of porn and sex addiction advocates, um, that I take a very realistic view of things, um, and the way things should be. Um, you know, I, I, right now there's all this, uh, brouhaha this, this specific week about, uh, MasterCard and Visa, uh, yeah, cutting, cutting their, uh, relationship with Pornhub. And there are all of, a lot of these advocates out there and, and, and anti-porn people and who are calling this a great victory. And I, and and like, and, and I've, you know, had discussions with them where this doesn't mean anything. You know, all this means is that Pornhub and the porn industry is going to be moving towards, you know, cryptocurrency like the rest of the world because yeah. porn- pornography is always on the cutting edge. Pornography was on the cutting edge of saving the drive-ins. Pornography was on the cutting edge of home video. Pornography was on the cutting edge of the internet. Pornography is on the cutting edge of VR. Pornography will be on the cutting edge of uh, uh, cryptocurrency, and and just be, and people think Pornhub's the number one porn site in the world. It's not. It's number three. Um, people think that this is going to be a giant. You know, some big thing is about to ha- is going to happen now, and I don't think so whatsoever. I think this is like being outside trying to shovel in a blizzard. You know. Yeah. You make a little dent for a few minutes, but you turn around and it's all the snow's right back there and it's all coming. It looks like you've never been there. I don't think this is going to be a ripple that goes anywhere. Um, and that's really, and I've, you know, literally what I spent my, I posted a uh, article on my website showing statistics from different websites and making the argument how, you know, because this is an international issue as well, there's just so much that legislation can do um, and, and kind of debunking some of what we've seen out there this week. And on uh, Twitter, 
on Reddit, I'm taking a ton of shit from people who are usually on my side with things uh, because they they know that I you know my my uh, my fight against uh, you know ignorance with pornography, um, mm-hmm. but. But they don't like the fact that I'm not jumping up and down. Woohoo, this is awesome because I'm a realist. I'm a realist yeah. when it comes to the good stuff. I'm a realist when it comes to the bad stuff. I'm a, I'm a journalist by trade. I like science. I'm a realist. And I don't think this is going to make any difference. So this is one of those times where I'm catching a lot of flack from people who are usually patting me on the back. And I'm, and then there are a lot of people who are so super pro pornography who have said to me, you're absolutely right. And it's not like I'm not trying to make anybody like me or dislike me. I'm just putting out the information as I see it and, uh, you know, throwing my analysis with it. Um, and and it, it it goes to both sides, and it's like that with the uh, with the um, prostitution discussion yeah. that we just need to keep having these discussions and need to have more education around this. And if we have more education, if we understand the realities, what we need to understand are realities. I think that the two credit card companies and Pornhub are all doing what's very good for their PR right now um, and for oh. their for their brand and it won't matter one bit to anybody's bottom line and that's a relationship that was probably going to break apart anyway you know there's a reason that playboy hustler and penthouse are all going out of business and it's not because of any shift in pornography attitudes it's because print media is dying that's Mm. why they're that's why they're going under it has nothing to do with with attitudes and i think that you know if you look at the way things are going especially online cryptocurrency is going to be something that is going to grow hugely over the next five ten years um you know and, and that's a whole other discussion um but pornhub wouldn't be wouldn't be wrapping their arms around all this if there wasn't some advantage for them. They're one of the shadiest companies out there when it comes to their, their, their marketing techniques. They're shady when it comes to the information they're willing to share with people. You, you know, people are like, Oh, their analytics are amazing. And I used to think that until you look at, and you recognize that they don't, analyze anybody who is under 18 that looks at their site you look at their statistics nobody under 18 looks at their site you -hmm. look at their statistics you you type in the word incest into pornhub you get you get nothing back they will tell you there are no incest videos on their site however type in the word stepmom and 140,000 videos come up or teen yeah, the word exactly. I actually did that yesterday for the article that I wrote, and over just the word, just the word "teen," not teenager, not teen strip, nothing, just teen. It was over one hundred and fifty thousand responses, and uh, out out of out of Pornhub's thirteen or sixteen million videos. And if you do the math on, even if those videos were only three minutes each, and most are a lot longer, mm-hmm. it's hundreds and hundreds of years of nonstop watching to see them all. Yeah. For for every minute of the day, Pornhub gets three yeah. hours of porn uploaded. Yeah. How do you have anybody? How do you have? You need shifts of people working around the clock. You know, you're not going to, nobody's going to catch everything there. So, what's the solution? The solution is that people don't want to look at that specific kind of stuff anyway. When you, you know, 
that people know that oh this is bad I should click off this that you know they understand they're 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 taking certain uh, certain potential risks I should say by going on to that kind of thing and I don't think right now they recognize that that's where I fit in that educational part well there is no filter for going online because right now I'm a 38 year old man. I can go on to Marlboro.com for cigarettes, and it's going to ask me my date of birth. I can type in anything, and I can get in and view all the content. Can you subtract by 21? You know, can you subtract by 18? Uh, You know, a lot of Pornhub doesn't even ask. Um, They do now, supposedly. Do they now? They they didn't yesterday. Um, Supposedly, they are in court, and they supposedly changed their whole way of thinking, and now they're going to add that if they haven't already. Right. Well, and in the UK, you have to have that now. So, you know, even though you can access millions of sites that are from outside the UK, um, again, which is why it's an international issue. Um, But uh, yeah, no, I think I think that uh, you bring up a ton of good points with, with the prostitution debate. And that's another debate around sexuality that we need to have, because I don't know that prostitution will ever be healthy sexuality. I don't know that pornography will ever ever be healthy sexuality but as long as we don't have these discussions they're always going to be unhealthy and we need more discussions when it comes to sexuality because simply discussing things lends to healthier outcomes that's a perfect point i do have a couple more questions for you if you're okay with that yeah sure if we can you know 10 more minutes or so i want my I've had a great time with you tonight, Josh, and uh, a lot of insight for our listeners here. But I do want to ask you a, a couple more questions here. Sure. You're a father. I'm a father, right? Yep. I didn't know you were a father, but I'll trust you. <laughs> well, you know, I got two young girls. They're about teenage years. They're about 12, 12 and 10. How do you keep your kids away from pornography? Because I'm sure your kids probably have an iPhone or, or an Android. Device. They, they got something. How you do you don't. keep them away from You don't. This? I mean – you don't let's let's not fool ourselves it's you know you can put all of the uh filters you want on their phones there are 4.2 billion smartphones in this world um you can tell them anything you want about pornography unless you're keeping them in a cage in your basement which is uh brings up a whole other set of issues that are probably more important than porn Uh, yeah yeah i it like i said earlier it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when And if you don't know what your daughter is going to say, if you don't know what your daughter is going to do, you haven't porn-proofed them. And the reality is you don't know what they're going to say or do because you can't porn-proof somebody. So all you can do is try to have an open, you know, relationship when it comes to communication. Don't shame them. Don't judge them. Don't make them feel bad about their own sexuality. Don't make them feel sexuality is a dirty thing. Don't make them think pornography is a dirty thing or that people who look at it are dirty. Because when somebody feels judged, they're not going to talk. That's one of the things that I always have to you know, really drive home to partners is that I know you want to scream at him. I know you want to yell at him. I know you want to flip out. But if he feels judged, if he feels shamed, he's not going to open up to you. No. Um, and that's what you need to do is not judge your kids, not shame your kids, make a safe space for your kids, ha- 
I'm sorry, it's in 2020, 2021, you need to have this conversation with him, with, with them, but it's the world we live in, you know? In the 1950s, parents had to tell their kids about nuclear war and practice air raid drills. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Times change. This is the time that we're living in now, and you have to, you have to parent according to the society that uh, we find ourselves in. Now, another question for you is, where do you see the future going as far as getting online and just keeping people accountable for their addictions and maybe horrible shit that they're doing? I had a proposal at one point of making people get fingerprinted when they buy an internet-ready device where maybe you can hold them accountable by IP address, by IMEI number, when they buy a phone. Maybe that's a way to keep people accountable. Like, don't look up kitty porn. Don't look up this because we have your fingerprint when you buy this device. That's a really raw, crude idea. What is your idea? Uh, yeah, I wish I wish I had one. <laughs> to tell you the <laughs> truth, I wish I had one because uh, while, while that idea may make sense, it probably leads to you know certain liberties that uh, are, are broken and then would get tied up in court. Um, and I can tell you, based on my own experience with the police, that uh, they can tap into your stuff already, and they can uh, they can look at things, and they can get warrants, and they can, you know, and anything you've ever done on your computer, trust me, there is a record of it somewhere, whether it's in your computer or yes. in a database somewhere. Anything you've ever done on a computer is there, including Snapchat. Uh, so there, there is there. If you're using a computer and doing anything illegal, uh, that's absolutely stupid because you should know that people are, are probably watching you anyway. I mean, it's been shown that there are certain smart TVs and whatnot where the, 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 there are cameras in them and they can watch people. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm not uh, you know, conspiracy theory here, but there are dev- you know, our, our cell phones, it's been proven, can listen to us. That, how do you think it's, do you think it's really that crazy that, you know, all those ads are targeting you so well? Um, it's out there and you need to know that you are being watched. And I think that, you know, maybe a, a fingerprint program is good uh, if it, if it's legal because people need to be reminded that they can't do illegal things and can't do these kinds of harmful things uh i i can't believe that it would hurt anything i'm curious if with the truly ill who get to that level if it would really matter though you know they would try to put a vpn on their computer uh they would try to do some kind of you know masking through their phone um the thing with with uh cyber crime people and, and porn addicts and, and people who look at illegal porn online, they usually are pretty advanced technology, uh, technologically. Um, yeah. you know, I, I always tell, I always tell parents and I always tell partners, if you want to put filters on phones or on computers, go ahead and do it, but understand that's for your peace of mind because everyone that's out there is absolutely crackable. It's a hell of a way to do this thing right here, man. And uh, I guess lastly, what I want to ask you, because you've given some hell of a great advice and everything that you said here was golden. And I do appreciate being so candid, open and honest on the show, because that's what this show is all about. Um, I do want to ask you to just kind of just talk about your books and plug your stuff here. Everything Joshua Shea just talk about here right now yeah. so and find you. Uh- you know, what What I would suggest people do is go to my website, uh, recoveringpornaddict.com. I've got three books there. Um, first one was my 
uh, autobiography. It's called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. My middle book is for partners of porn addicts. That's called He's an Addict, Now What? And then uh, my latest book was actually called Porn in the Pandemic. That came out in July, and it looked at how radical the online porn industry changed between March and May of this year. Um, and uh, I've also got an online course available there for uh, women who feel that maybe their partner is a porn addict. And this is a very low-cost way and a very quick way to go through and learn some things and figure out your situation. Uh, so, and I, again, I also do coaching with people. If you do have a problem or if your, your spouse has a problem, if your boyfriend has a problem, I can uh, talk you through it as well. Um, I see my role in coaching as kind of being the conduit between doing nothing and getting into real therapy. Um, I, I can prepare you for real therapy if you're not ready to make that leap yet, um, you know, just by talking about some of this stuff. So, uh, if you need resources, if you want to hear interviews like this one that I've given, um, if you want to, I tend to write two or three articles every week. Like I mentioned, I, uh, as of you and I taping this, I just wrote one about the porn hub and credit card things. Awesome. Um, I, I put them, every, I put two or three up every week. So, um, you know, visit me at porn. And if you want to get in touch with me, visit me at recovering I think you're going to get a lot of hits because, oh, my God, we all have skeletons in the closet. And I'm glad for you to air out yours, my friend, Joshua Shea. Unbelievable interview. Just a great person in general, man. And I do appreciate you sharing your story because it does hit home and it does relate to every single one of us out there listening. Sir, you got to come back to the show because there's so much more to talk about. You know how to find me. And I promise you we won't take as long next time. <laughs> absolutely my friend thank you for coming on the voice of misery podcast you have a good night sir thank you you too thanks a lot this episode of the podcast is brought to you by charlottesweb.com ladies and gentlemen if you love cbd just as much as i do i need it so you need it we all need it if everybody had cbd in our life we wouldn't be so fucking at each other's throats all the time i said a couple of uh, podcast episodes ago about cbdmedic.com kind of going the way of the wayside well, they didn't. They merged. We all went to a bigger and much, much more well-known company called Charlotte's Web. And that's something that needs to happen more in business and life in general, is everyone needs to kind of get together and make something bigger, something bigger than yourself. And that's what CBD Medic did with Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is one of the most well-known names in podcasting. Yeah, I mean, people talk about this all the time. People talk about this all the time in the CBD world. They are entrepreneurs, pioneers in the game. These guys are huge business, and I'll tell you what, they are not so big that they forgot about the little man because they gave us a code to give to you guys, VOM10. This will get you any fucking order over $150. You will get the coolest product I've ever heard of with CBD. This is an a, a active sports stick. So anytime you spend $150 or more, use a code VOM10, you get a free active sports stick which is phenomenal. You can use this thing on any part of your body. If you're an active person, you go out there and you just do anything physical. You take the sports stick, you rub it on your part of your body. There's also a spray version. Spray it on that injured, affected part of your body. Within minutes, you will feel great. This thing will alleviate any pain. It, will, it is phenomenal. And if that's not your thing, you're spending 150 bucks to get this free sports stick. Why not get a free sports stick? Spend 150 bucks. take advantage of all their products. They have uh, all sorts of shit. Rubs, lotions, tinctures, tunctures, all sorts of things that you probably can't even pronounce. 
so many cool different products, different topics. Everything tastes great. Charlotte's Web has a 100% money-back guarantee on products you may or may not like, but you will get to keep the free active sports stick, but you have to use the code VOM10 at checkout. Spend 150 bucks or more. If you don't like the product, simply send it back and keep the free sports stick. But you won't send it back because you're going to be so fucking on cloud nine, you won't even be able to make it to the mailbox to send it back because you're going to feel so good and relaxed for the first time in your life by using charlottesweb.com, using the code VOM10products, that you will not know what to do with yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, take it from the nerd. I would never, ever steer you wrong. Until I do. But this is not one of those cases. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by podbean.com. Yes, podbean.com. Have you ever wanted to get your voice heard by millions upon millions of people around the globe? Are you too dumb to start up your own website professionally? Are you too dumb to start up your own podcast? Are you so dumb that you don't know? (laughs) I'm sorry. Are you me? Because that's basically me describing myself. You know, when we got into this podcasting game about two years ago, um, it was very hard to find a good platform out there, someone that gave us the voice and the opportunity and the tools to make our dreams and vision become a reality. Well, let me tell you something. Podbean.com made it simple, easy, and effective, cost-effective, very cheap to sit there and get your voice out there. And I know the time all that is you get what you pay for, but in this case, you get 10 times more than what you pay. I mean, these guys are getting, like, we're robbing them, basically. And I'm going to tell you something, man. You better jump in on this deal now because right now everyone's at home. Everyone's got a lot to say, a lot of things in their mind. Podcasts are popping up all over the place, and there's no better place than Podbean.com to start your own podcast. They make everything easy. Even a dumbass like myself was able to make a website, can produce a podcast, can put things out there, and just have all sorts of different outlets. And they make it simple for you to get on you know, Apple and all the big shots like Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, all these other big-name places that you can get your podcast seen and heard. They do it for you, and they make you... <laughs> Just basically walk through baby steps through this process. I mean, they make it so simple and easy. And to sweeten the deal, if you go to www.podbean.com slash vompodcast10, that's vompodcast10 using our code, they're going to give you five free hours of podcasting space to see if you like it, which you will. And if you don't, no harm to you. There's no risk. Tons of reward just to try it out. So give it a shot, www.podbean.com slash podcast 10 and get your voice heard. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by <laughs> my good friends here. I tell you what, man, I fucking love these guys, and I'm so glad they're back. I never had so much fun recording a podcast commercial for my friends at manscaped.com. I'm so happy they're back, ladies and gentlemen, because I missed them. I mean, it's been a while since I talked about them. Since I was allowed to talk about these guys, and holy shit, my balls have never been happier. I, I, I was crying in the shower the other day, and I was using this cheap-ass shaver. I'm not even going to use the name. I bought it at Walmart for fucking 30 bucks, and I'm shaving my nuts, and all of a sudden, I just howled in pain, and I cried for the first time in my adult life. Well, for the first time this month, actually. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And blood was trickling all at the bottom, just little droplets. And I said, I said, screw it. And I stopped and I was half shaved and I was walking around with a half row of my balls. Horrible, horrible experience. So I did what I could do and I picked up the phone. I called Manscaped and I said, please come back. Please sponsor the show. And they were like, all right, fine. Here you go, nerd. Here's a nice new product for you. Here is the lawnmower 3.0. This thing is amazing. Just the design, the engineering on this thing is beautiful. I mean, a lawn th- mower 3.0 trimmer is designed with a compact shape for easy maneuvering while wet or dry. This thing's waterproof. More waterproof than your stupid iPhone 20 or whatever the hell they're at now. 
It's just amazing. It's got the skin safe technology. That's the perfect tool for an incredible grooming experience. It's very sleek. I mean, it, you can travel with it, and it's also wireless. So you can charge it, and you pick it up. You can bring it in there with you. So you don't have to worry about you know, accidentally electrocuting yourself in the goddamn shower. But they also got other products, too, like the Weed Whacker, which I need because as an old man who's starting to get gray hairs now, my nose hairs are really long. And the Weed Whacker, you just jam this thing in there like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Total Recall and just move it around in your fucking nose. And instead of pulling out that little ball that he had that was tracking him with, what the, with whoever the hell was chasing him, it's going to pull out those nasty nose hairs. It's like going in a backyard and ripping out weeds, but it's painless. You don't feel any pain at all. You don't get those nasty scents of batteries that you get from all those cheap-ass ones. This one's amazing. The skin safe technology as well, something I cannot brag enough about with these guys. You do not hurt yourself. You don't have droplets of blood. You don't hurt yourself at all. It's amazing. You can go as hard as you want. You, you, just, pull it, you just pull that sack back and you just fucking go to town on yourself. Before you know it, you're going to be smooth. Smooth as my head. My, my bald head. I love this thing. You could use it on your fucking head. You could use it on your armpits, your mustache, your, every place on your body. You can use this thing. And I'm telling you what. The ladies are going to love you for it because you're going to be as smooth as a baby's butt. It's amazing. The battery life is phenomenal. they got a 600 mAh lithium-ion battery. Hold the charger up to 90 minutes. You can shave your whole body five times in 90 minutes, even more, depending on how tall or you know, short you are. It's such a phenomenal. They send you all sorts of stuff, and there's a lot of different things that you can get as well. There's a crop reviver. keeps your balls cool. The crop preserver keeps them nice and shave-free. And the cleanser. It romances your stones. It's basically a hair and body wash. It makes you feel really good. But ball deodorant. Who ever thought of ball deodorant? Only these guys. I'm serious. They are the best company out there. Very innovative, and we're happy to have them back. There's so many different things. Here's some testimonials for you. 85% of women think bad grooming is a major turnoff. 80% of women think men should trim below the belt. Those other 20 women are dirty fucking skeezers. 89% of men think grooming is essential to their professional success. So thank you, men. We're actually moving up in the rank. There's 11 dirty bastards out there, 11% of dirty bastards, but we'll get to them. And if you get this right now, there's an exclusive offer. You get free boxers and a travel bag, so you can put all these tools in there. And $109.99, you get every single product, and you get a money-back guarantee. And the cool thing about that $109.99 plan is it's every three months. So you get fresh products. You're always fresh and trim. Your ladies are going to be all over. You're going to have to beat them off with a stick, all right? You're going to look phenomenal. You're going to smell phenomenal. And the best thing is you're just going to get some free gifts like that fucking Manscaped boxers. I mean, it's going to keep your dick all where it's supposed to be. And that bag is amazing. It's really sleek. It's a leather bag. It's going to keep all your stuff protected. So get on this right now, manscaped.com, and use our code V-O-M-1-0 V-O-M-1-0 at manscaped.com and please do it and you'll save tons of money you're going to save $80 off the retail price so normally it'd be $169.99 for the perfect package 3.0 you're going to get it for $89 you're going to go for the, the best package the $109.99 normally that's $197 so that you're going to save even more money the more packages that you get to protect your package why wouldn't you do this ladies and gentlemen Go to manscaped.com, B-O-M-1-0.